Hello everyone, welcome to episode 4 of Cell Phone Talks, where we talk about social and emotional learning. I am your grateful host, Hunter Carruthers. You can find links to this podcast as well as my other activities on social media at HunterIsGodHop. I've also just released a song that you can find on SoundCloud called Youth, and in this song I touch on some of the five key competencies involved in social and emotional learning. Last week's episode, I explained some of the research that is taking place today, as well as the phenomenal research findings we've discovered, particularly with cooperative experiences. Today, in episode four, I want to discuss the applications behind how to actually teach these self-skills to students in the classroom. So, with that being said, let us get right into it. Now, although we would see far greater impact being able to involve teachers, students, and the parents to initiate school-wide changes, teachers can start to address a broader range of cell competencies and see the differences being made. For example, teachers can use everyday situations that arise in the classroom as opportunities to promote a deeper understanding of social and emotional issues. We can use conflicts and arguments as platforms to teach perspective-taking and emotional regulation. Think about how we can use literature or history classes, essays and art projects, or even sports to discuss human nature, people's feelings, and emotional reactions. We already see the promotion of teamwork, group projects, and small discussion groups to help children learn to interact with others and experience cooperative learning. But we need even more of it. And we need some time to be spent using these situations to encourage children to express and discuss their emotions, listening to others as well as respecting other people's point of views. There are so many school districts around the country training children to breathe deeply, look at a problem from different angles, and think things through before taking action on a stressful situation. And no doubt this is challenging. Teachers who are already overwhelmed with too many students or discipline problems may be resistant to taking on new challenges. And some educators may feel less comfortable with cell education than others. It takes a lot of training and practice to develop these new habits and skills in children. So we shouldn't expect quick changes. Managing emotions and relating to others are among the greatest challenges we face in life. Facing these challenges is not easy, especially for children. And there is no simple formula to be applied to all children and circumstances. We are attempting to expand children's repertoire of skills and enhance their capacity to respond flexibly to the demands of the moment. Ideally, we are trying to help our youth to relate to others by promoting a deeper appreciation of the complexity of human nature. There is an eight-step framework that can be taught for organizing clear thinking. These steps are worded in language designed to provide children with a self-talk strategy they can use to think through a problem or make a decision. It uses the acronym FIG-TESPEN, F-I-G, and then T-E-S-P-N. 
This mnemonic device is easy to remember for children and is presented in the following way. F. Feelings are my cue to problem solve. I. I have a problem. G. Goals guide my actions. T. Think of many possible things to do. E. Envision the outcomes of each solution. S. Select your best option based on your goal. P. Plan, practice, anticipate pitfalls, and pursue your best solution. N. Next time, what will you do? The same thing or something different? This framework was practiced in one of the cell programs implemented in certain school districts across the nation, and many benefits were recorded from teachers and students. Here are some of those findings. There were reports of greater sensitivity to others' feelings, better understanding of the consequences of their behavior, increased ability to size up interpersonal situations and plan appropriate actions, higher self-esteem, more positive pro-social behavior, more positive behavior and leadership behaviors with peers, better transition to middle school, lower than expected levels of antisocial, self-destructive, and socially disordered behavior even when followed up into high school, improvement in their learning-to-learn -learn skills in academic areas that had been infused with social decision-making, and improved use of skills in social awareness, self-control, and social decision-making and problem-solving in situations occurring both inside and outside the classroom. Much of what children read involves characters and stories making decisions, reacting to conflict, coping with strong feelings, and otherwise navigating the tricky waters of interpersonal situations. So it makes sense to have students apply the fig Tespin framework when reading a story. When carrying out book talks, we can introduce writing points that will facilitate the development of self-skills. You can be more complex for older and more developed students, but a simplified version for younger readers might include the following. So, to begin, write about the character or situation the character finds itself in. Identify and write about the character's problem. How did the character get into this problem? How does the character feel? What does the character want to happen? And what questions would you like to be able to ask the character you picked, another character, or even the author? One cell program I want to speak about specifically is called the Seattle Social Development Project. Without going into too much detail, the program enforced three different groups over the course of time children grow from elementary to high school stages. The three groups included were first, teacher training in classroom instruction and management. Second, child social and emotional skill development. 
and third, parent training. For teachers, practice was applied in proactive classroom management, interactive teaching, and cooperative learning. For children, interpersonal problem-solving skills and refusal skills. And for parents, behavior management skills, academic support skills, and skills to reduce risk for drug use. In the test group of low-income children, here are some of the results. For low-income girls, they reported significantly more classroom and team learning opportunities, more classroom participation, and more bonding and commitment to school than their low-income comparison counterparts. For low-income boys, they were more likely to report improved social skills, schoolwork, and commitment to school, and to have better achievement test scores and grades. Also, they were less likely to have antisocial peers than their low-income comparisons. So, for the problem behavior subject group, teachers reported for those children involved in the program significantly less aggressive behavior with boys and significantly less self-destructive behaviors with girls than, than the respective control groups. The groundbreaking study goes on to report the children involved in the programs participating in significantly less activity that involved alcohol, tobacco, sexual acts, and violence than the control groups. All of these findings go to show that social and emotional learning programs in schools can increase academic achievement while reducing antisocial behavior. Rather, these cell programs do not improve students' behaviors at the expense of academics. So, to wrap things up, I want to touch on emotional intelligence again. Emotional intelligence can be defined as the ability to recognize emotional responses in oneself, other people, and situations, and to use this knowledge in effective ways. Something like self-awareness, which is recognizing a feeling as it happens, is the keystone of emotional intelligence. As one of the authors, Goldman, says, the ability to monitor feelings from moment to moment is crucial to psychological insight and self-understanding. An inability to notice our true feelings leaves us at their mercy. And people with greater certainty about their feelings are better pilots of their lives. So, that is going to conclude episode 4. As I move forward, I want to begin using real-time events happening in our schools today and have conversations with others about it. This week's quote is from Carl Jung. Until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. As always, thank you and please feel free to like, comment, and share this episode and message me with any questions or thoughts about this podcast. Lastly, when you work to know thyself, you are preparing to know God.